2: Stand
0: up, and save our profession. Administrators, government officials should not tell physicians how to treat their own patients. They are interfering with the basic physician-patient relationship.
1: As a result of institutional interference and blocking treatments, Proven to cure at a near 100% rate. All right, so that was what happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday. It was a march against the mandates. Did you know about it? Were you there? I didn't know about it. I didn't know about it until one of the doctors contacted me and said, do you want want me to be on? I would like to talk about this. We're going to be there over the weekend. Most of us were focused on the March for Life and also, I guess uh, not, this is certainly not the headline of the day. But as I was musing about that, I thought, remember, those of you that are, are Christians in the evangelical world, you know that they're like different sections. Like the charismatic world has, you know, their speakers and all their stuff going on, and the the Baptists have their stuff going on, and the other evangelicals have their stuff going on. And sometimes there's no connection, and I view, I view that the same way. But there will be a connection at some point. But the bo- the headline is that about 30,000 35,000 people uh, they're estimating uh, marched in uh, Washington DC around the monuments the Washington Monument and the uh, uh, to the to the Lincoln and that's incredible this is what we've been waiting for you know uh, you know as we watch people marching all over the globe you know faithfully out there thousands and thousands of people um, you know it's been inspiring and they are in you know more draconian, They're smaller countries, and so when they do a mandate, it's just everybody. We have variations in the states and stuff, but um, they've been so faithful. I think our European brothers, at least Brothers in Freedom, uh, have uh, really been out there marching more faithfully than Americans have. So this was good news to me. And so, uh, again, uh, they had thousands of people show up, and they had lots of speakers that you would uh, recognize. I want to just give you an idea of some of the signs out there. Uh, this is this is fun. Like not fun. Well, okay, I guess for me it's kind of fun. I I like to see people are uh, speaking up in the American way. Uh, it encourages me. It's part of our. It's our DNA. It's in our blood. We have free political speech. We can criticize King George. That's what our founders made sure of in the First Amendment. So we're criticizing King George and DC. It has to be King Biden this time. And it's Defeat the Mandates. Of course, that was the title of the march. But there's this one big sign with uh, <laughs> Anthony Fauci with a little mustache, and it says, Fauciism, stop Fauciism. Yeah, so. And then another one is, uh, this is shows Robert Kennedy Jr. speaking. It, his organization was one of the primary uh, supporters of this event. That's the Children's Defense Fund, Defense Fund I think it's what it's called. You know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., of <laughs> You know, there couldn't be anyone personally for me more diametrically opposed politically and in background. The Kennedys, uh, as charming as they were, uh, it would have been conservatives. Now, maybe he's from that old family line, of a uh, of national defense and a love of country. And truth speaking, uh, because he's written this book called The Real Anthony Fauci, and I'm sure that's you know. It's a great book by the way. Oh, it's hard to read. It's got a lot of detail, but it's great in terms of information. I I do recommend it. So he was organizing this and beside him was this big uh, banner waving, "We are the control group." And then there are a lot of people. There were a lot of medical personnel, nurses. One uh, held up "My body, my choice." The other "A year ago, healthcare workers were heroes." Today, Fired for making a personal choice. Stop the mandate. Then another one, I will not comply. That was a sign held by several people. Uh, uh, let's see. There was another one, government is waging war against the people. And that was uh, being in between a couple of flags, American flags. And then, of course, they were, uh, this was not a partisan uh, march because, obviously, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is a, is a Democrat of the Democrats. That's his... Lineage is his blood, his DNA. So there's this sign, uh, Vaxxed Democrat for Medical Freedom. So people of all stripes were there. I saw some of the, I saw lots of video, lots of people, lots of colors of people, you know, athletes uh, were there. Uh, and the speakers were people like Paul Alexander, who was a health researcher. You've probably seen him and a former Trump administration official. He said that liability protections for vaccine companies should be dropped. He said, if they want your child to take any of these vaccines, you stand up and say, well, then remove the liability protection. You do understand that, right? Maybe that needs to be restated. You're being mandated to take something that has not been properly tested and not gone through the proper approval of the FDA. And you're being asked to do that while those companies that produce these vaccines are not in writing not to be held accountable for any injury or death or loss to you. Do you understand that? No liability whatsoever. You're, you are the man. You are the control group. You are the experiment. And that's what that meant. Dr. Pierre Corio, of the Frontline Doctors was there, uh, and lots of other people. Dr. Malone was there too, Robert Malone. Uh, He spoke. I want you to hear a little bit about what he said. He's always he always makes some great points and we need to listen. He was up on the stage in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And this is what Dr. Robert Malone said. Let's listen.
4: These are my truths, and I believe they're self-evident. We should not have politicized the public health response to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 regarding the genetic COVID vaccines. The science is settled. They're not working. They are not completely safe. Now we have Omicron. These vaccines were designed for the original Wuhan strain, a different virus. Whether they made sense for protecting our elderly and frail from the original virus is irrelevant. So let's stop arguing about that. We must look forward. These vaccines do not prevent Omicron infection, viral replication, or spread to others. In our daily lives, with our friends, with our families, we all know this is true. These genetic vaccines are leaky, they have poor durability, and even if every man woman, and child in the United States were vaccinated, these products cannot achieve herd immunity and stop COVID. They are not completely safe, and the full nature of the risks remain unknown. In contrast, the natural immunity which healthy immune systems develop after infection and recovery from COVID is long-lasting, broad, and highly protective from disease and death caused by this virus.
1: If there is risk, there must be choice. All right, so that was uh, Dr. Robert Malone. And uh, meanwhile, I thought you'd find this interesting. Uh, There's a study that's been done that shows that now, we know, it's still not a study, it's a poll, that one-third of Americans say they have not gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. I think that's interesting because all these years that I've been doing what I do, generally speaking, like if we break down who the American people are, they've, I've been told and read and it's kind of you know, ingrained in me that 30% of Americans are hard rock conservatives, 30% are hard rock uh, liberals, and 30% are unaffiliated and don't, aren't really knowledgeable. That's my category. Uh, they're not paying attention and they don't have strong opinions. So um that I find it interesting that 30% have not gotten the COVID vaccine as it breaks down here 40% of independents 40% of independents 30% 36% of republicans and 14% of democrats have not received a vaccine dose 8% of the people who voted for president Joe Biden in 2020 haven't received a dose 43% of people who voted for president Trump haven't and I just think that's interesting. I would also say that if you broke it down even further, I bet you'd be surprised at the number of people who've taken one uh, vaccine or more even and now uh, feel, you know, understanding and would not do it. But they they did take it, uh, wouldn't do it again. I have sort of a sad thing to tell you. Oh, oh before I get to that, you have to hear this. Uh, there was a reporter that went out on the street in D.C. Now, this is District of Columbia. Let me just tell you, this is like... It's uh, like the uh, People's Republic of uh, Colombia, uh, and that's based on experience. It's been happening for a long time. I've told you that, and I just want ex- to uh, just illustrate this to you. A reporter went out to the streets while this, you know, close in proximity to while this rally is going on and asked the question about how people felt about vaccine mandates, which have been instituted there since a week ago. Uh, can't go into a restaurant, can't do anything unless you have proof of vaccine, can't go to the grocery store, can't ride a cab, can't take a, can't uh, be in a hotel. This is what an example of what the residents of the District of Columbia had to say about that. Let's listen.
0: Do you support the new requirement to show photo ID and vax cards to get into restaurants, concerts, the gym? I
2: do support the new DC mandates.
1: Change your name to McLovin?
5: I'm totally cool with it. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated and boosted and I feel more comfortable doing things like dining inside or going inside at a bar if I know that other people are as well.
3: Your total is ninety
5: six fifty nine.
4: Yes, absolutely. I think it's going to
0: be really helpful. Do you think you should show photo ID when you go to
4: vote? In the case of voting, it's usually to prevent voter fraud. But since voter fraud is something that basically never happens, I don't think it has any actual benefit there. Whereas in this case, it does actually help to validate vaccination status.
5: No, I definitely think that voting um, registration should be much, much easier.
4: Let's see. I can't figure this thing out. Can you help me?
1: Yeah. Just hang on a second, Bobby.
4: Ink all over my hands, the pen
2: Came up with a
6: I think there is a valid distinction because one deals with health
3: and safety, and the other is just dealing with voting. Just because they don't have the the valid representation to show that they're a citizen of America, it doesn't mean that they should be excluded from the conversation. Come well, on, give me it.
1: Just give me the election. I'm sorry, please. Okay, obviously a spoof, uh, and better if you can see it, but nevertheless, that is the water in which the Supreme Court justices, uh, the politicians, the writers, that's where they swim, where people cannot distinguish between the importance of voting and showing ID uh, and getting a vaccine card in order to be able to eat or buy groceries. Complete inability, complete flog, we call it, Mass delusion, and that's a conversation for another day. We've talked about it before. All right, well, now I have some really sad news. I think this is really sad news. You remember the woman, uh, her name is uh, Ann Quiner. We played a clip of her talking about her husband. She had removed him from the hospital in Minnesota where they were refusing uh, to let her, they were going to take him off the ventilator, telling him she was going to, she had all kinds of recordings of them saying, well, if he'd only been vaccinated, he lost tons of weight. Uh, they wouldn't let her see him. She was trying to get inf- um, better medication for him. She hired an attorney. They went to court. It went back and forth, and she finally got him out of the hospital, took him to Texas, uh, where the doctors said they never. They felt he was given all kinds of um, medications to sedate him uh, that were basically just letting him die. And I, and this is my words. Giving him medication that was expediting death. And unwilling to give him treatment, while well, she was doing everything that she could to fight for him, and, and uh, in the I think it was on Friday he actually died, and that goes along with another story. There are two families, uh, one in Arizona, one in Florida. I think they're both affiliated with the Mayo Clinic in those areas, uh, and they had been fighting for their, had their husbands on ventilators, could not get the hospital uh, to. It's Banner One Medical Center in Arizona, so that's the in Arizona, but the other one is in Florida. And that's Mayo. And so both of those men have died, both of them, because the courts would not support them and because the hospitals refused treatment. I think something needs to happen. Someone needs to be charged for something Um, because this, in my book, is absolute murder. It is murder. They know exactly what they're doing, uh, and uh, we need to do something about it in return. Sandy Rios in the morning. I did discuss my options for abortion.
5: After a series of health issues, this mom felt abortion was the only answer.
1: was still borderline thinking abortion until the little... The at the bottom of the
4: ultrasound started moving, and we realized there were two, and I knew
5: then. The ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis, offering free ultrasounds and the gospel in action. At just 11 weeks old, these twins cried out for life through ultrasound.
4: Just seeing that, I said, I can't. I can't. The ultrasound was still the
5: deal. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the USA. Introducing moms to their pre-born babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life.
1: This is Pause to Pray.
5: A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's
3: leaders. Today we pray for Ronald Place, director of the Defense Health Agency. His office helps ensure our country has a medically ready military force and a ready medical force in both peacetime and wartime. Third John 1-2 reminds us of God's gifts of health and healing. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ronald Place as he works to ensure a healthy military force. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
6: Pause to
1: Pray is the service of this station and the presidential prayer team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at
5: PauseToPray.org.
2: Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Los Angeles County Police Officers are warning tourists to stay away from the city. They say it's too dangerous. The head of the police union issuing a dire warning that visitors should avoid Los Angeles for the sake of their lives and safety. Union Chief Jamie McBride says criminals are running wild, and he does not believe the police can keep you safe. In recent weeks, gangs of thugs have been staging smash-and-grab robberies, wiping out stores like Nordstrom. There are also reports of Christmas parties being targeted by home invasion robbers. Bail reform is a significant problem. Fourteen thugs who robbed one store were set free within hours of being arrested. And because of the war on police, the department does not have the resources necessary to keep citizens safe. The union chief says Los Angeles has become a real-life version of the movie Purge. My new book available right now, our daily biscuit at toddstarns.com.
3: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at
5: Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy
0: Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, etc.,
1: yeah, that's the president of the United States. How, how, m- What a difference a few days makes. Well, I guess the Ukrainians and the Russians were listening to that because now it looks as though Putin is actually moving to do lots of things. And Europe is responding. NATO is uh, sending in, many of the countries of NATO are sending in help to Ukraine. Not not Germany, though. Germany's got other plans, and that's a whole other story. This is kind of unfolding like a um, a very interesting novel. And the person that could actually write this novel is my next guest. But before I introduce him, I want to hear, I want you to hear former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo lay out what's kind of a mess we've gotten ourselves into uh, since Joe Biden was elected. Let's listen.
3: It's awful late. Uh, The real hard work of deterrence uh, would have happened a long time ago, a year ago, when President Putin demanded that we give him a new start treaty extension, we gave it to him for nothing. When they had Russian cyber attacks and they shut down the colonial pipeline, we told them you can only attack uh, certain sectors, but 16 are off limits. When uh, we left Afghanistan in the way we did, Uh, those were the places where the administration had the chance to establish deterrence. Putin saw this. And so these tactical things today about whether our families will stay in Ukraine, we've got to do the right thing and take care of our families, but these tactical things aren't what causes vladimir putin to recalculate his cost benefit analysis i think they don't see president biden as credible i think they see all this talking these pieces of paper being exchanged as not credible they don't do the right thing they don't protect the american people establish deterrence and prevent reduce the risk that what president biden called a a minor incursion it reminded me shannon of when president obama called isis the jv right same kind of downplaying of risk when he talks about a minor incursion This could cause an awful lot of lives to be lost, not only in Ukraine, but in other places in Europe, and energy prices to skyrocket all across the world.
1: Yes, okay, so that's just a little tiny bit of what's happening, and uh, that was Mike Pompeo. But my guest is Dave Satter. Dave is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute in Washington, D.C. He's been a fellow at the Foreign Policy Institute at Johns Hopkins uh, University School of Advanced International Studies, a research fellow at Hoover, a senior fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. I could go on and on, but then I would be talking the entire uh, time. But I want to just say that uh, David is an incredible Russian expert. Uh, He was the Moscow correspondent at the Financial Times and ended up living uh, in Russia for a number of years until he was expelled. He's written a number of books, um, and I've known David for years. We've interviewed on many of his books, and he is really my go-to person on what's happening inside that country. And he joins us this morning. Dave, thanks for joining me.
6: Hi, Sandy. Good morning.
1: Yeah, good morning. It's nice to hear your voice, David. All right, well, nobody knows the ins and outs of this better than you, so let's just jump in if we can. If we can. I think um, Yeah. Uh, I want to know right away, if you think that Russia is going to invade Ukraine, and if they're not, why not? Why wouldn't they do this?
6: well uh you know uh, it reminds me of uh, what Yogi Berra once said that uh predictions are difficult especially about the future and uh <laughs> they're particular <laughs> particularly difficult when you're dealing with someone like vladimir putin uh you, you know who's who's capable of committing uh uh, uh the, you know terrible crimes but uh tell you honestly i mean and of course i i uh, i admit that i could be wrong about this my instinct is that there's not going to be an invasion uh that oh. what is what i what i think is happening is uh, a massive attempt to 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 lean on the new biden administration i think you have to bear in mind that the american withdrawal from afghanistan uh made a big impression on the world uh <laughs> it was such an open betrayal of an ally, uh, such disregard for the consequences of one's actions, uh, that uh, it really, and, and such a, most of all, most important, such a concentration on American domestic politics uh, when, uh, when, the, when, the, when the situation demanded, you know, uh, an approach that takes into account the whole world, that uh, it was an open invitation to people like Putin to see what they can get uh, the there was no reason to begin this crisis over ukraine. uh NATO was not moving to give Ukraine membership uh they weren't even moving to give uh, Ukraine an invitation uh to become a member uh the uh, the The crisis at, nor was there any any threat to russia or was there any big change in the war situation in eastern ukraine where russian troops and separatists have in fact taken over a, a piece of ukrainian national territory so the oh the the, the 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 crisis appeared out of nowhere for no particular reason with no urgency whatsoever but only i think in response to the feckless behavior of the American government and uh, the Biden administration mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. Uh, it's important to bear in mind that for a long time, Ukraine was requesting the status of high-level or very close U.S. ally. Well, the country that had that status, uh, Afghanistan, uh, uh, quickly you know learned to learn that in fact that status didn't mean anything uh so now in fact uh, uh not only is uh Ukraine uh not in line to uh to become a member of NATO in the foreseeable future but it is uh uh not even anymore trying to get that status which uh uh which in fact proved to be worthless in the case of Afghanistan so uh, they've, they've, they've massed a huge number of troops on the border. They have the ability to invade uh, Ukraine, not so much because of the troops, because of their air superiority. But um, they can take over territory, but they will be taking over territory where the population is very pro-Ukrainian and uh, unlike the area in eastern ukraine where they uh, uh where, which they now occupy where the population is pro russian oh
1: interesting uh,
6: and uh, they will face guerrilla war and uh and it will it will uh, if if they invade so these are these so uh my the way it looks to me is that they're trying to you know, just uh, with a low-cost effort, because it doesn't cost that much actually to mobilize this number of troops compared to actually sending them into battle. Uh, they're trying to squeeze uh, unjustified concessions and security guarantees out of the U.S.
1: Well, aren't they also, I was just, as I was reading this morning, David, it looks like uh, they're, it's also revealing a lot of stuff. Like NATO is kind of receiving a shakeup, and I was just reading about how Germany... It's like playing their own game. Uh, many of the min- members of NATO are trying to, you know, rushing to try to help, uh, at least send. P- even France, you know, is coming to Ukraine's defense, but Germany, not so much. Can you talk about that?
6: Well, there's this is a traditional problem in Germany because of the, and I think it's rooted in his in history. Uh the you know after the the horrors that were inflicted on Russia. During the Second World War, by by the Nazis, by the, the Nazi regime, there remains a residual desire in Germany not to quarrel with Russia, and uh, and also to to kind of compensate for the past by putting the best possible interpretation on Russian actions. Uh, the and i think we're seeing you know i think the the the, the legacy of that tendency uh is uh, uh what we're seeing you know what we're seeing at the moment i mean uh the the germans are not being helpful uh in but but there you know the level of obstruction is not sufficient to really change very much uh the, the the important thing is that the United States give its firm support to Ukraine and that the Ukrainians themselves prepare to resist, which they are doing. Uh, that, I hope, will be enough. Plus the fact that Putin has really nothing to gain by launching a war over nothing. And without a, you know, without a valid pretext, uh, I I hope that will be enough to, you know, prevent any kind of invasion. But as I say, he's 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 uh, moved troops into position to invade, and all he would new, need to do is give the order.
1: You know, let me run something by you. This is, I ran, This is fascinating. It Was in Wall Street Journal. I think it was. V.S. yesterday, Tom Rogan wrote it. It's, uh, it's a called, Is Germany a Reliable American Ally? Nine. And it talks about, um, well, actually, let me just read a bit and let, let you respond to this, David, because I think it's interesting. It's talking, it goes into, of course, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, pipeline, which is really what Putin does care about. Um, and then he says, facing the two most consequential security threats to America and to the post-World War II democratic international order, China and Russia, Germany is no longer a credible ally. For Germany, cheap gas, car exports to China, and keeping Mr. Putin calm seem to be more important than allied democratic solidarity. Ukraine's fate will convey on Germany a heavy burden of responsibility. Um, Do you think that Germany is also, and I do want to talk about the Nord Stream Pipeline, are they like catering to Jer- uh, Russia on that on the same for the same reasons you just talked about? I you know I've never heard anybody say what you just said. Let me just say, uh, I, I, you know we know that Germany was kind of crazy when it came to the Islamic invasion, the young men, you know, the borders, and uh, and turned a blind eye to to what was happening in their towns. And I finally understood because it was explained to be that the Germans were bending over backwards for their so called you know what they perceive as the mistreatment of other people or the other and that they were bending over backwards to accommodate because of their actions during world war 2 to the jews uh, but now this kind of sounds like the same but different where their their guilt over how they treated the russians after world war 2 is is producing ridiculous uh policies that are dangerous and and is that could you think that could possibly
6: be true on the oil situation well, that's, also that 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 that's one of the reasons uh the other is of course because and this goes back to the years of the Reagan administration, that Germany has become dangerously dependent on Russian gas. Uh, you know, a, a gas pipeline can't be can't be changed. It can't be moved. Once once you're at one end of a gas pipeline, uh, you're dependent. You you know uh, you, you you can be deprived of gas by the, with the flick of a switch. And uh, the the Nord Stream pipeline was created especially uh, to make sure that Ukraine would have no influence over this process. So that was part of the isolation and intimidation of Ukraine. And and Germany bought into that uh, partially because they need the gas and it's convenient. But... uh, uh, and also because they thought that this would uh, help helped establish good relations with Russia, which now, when Russia has proven that it's not worthy of good relations they're uh unwilling or they're hesitant at least to sacrifice um the it's you know there there're always there is often in in the behavior of a country more than one motivation uh on the one hand you have this psychological uh you know, uh, complex in relation to Russia as a result of the Nazi period. Uh, on the other hand, you have various economic interests, which in fact were very much influenced in the past and continue to be influenced by that, by, by that psychological complex. So you, you overall create a situation in, in which Germany is very hesitant, uh, to confront Russia over its behavior.
1: Yeah, uh, let's, David. Let's talk about that pipeline for a second, because uh, sure. people, of course, uh, it's it's true. It's not just speculation that Joe Biden has bent over backwards. Uh, we were energy. The United States was energy independent, incredibly so, when Donald Trump last, left office, and now we are desperate uh, for you know because we don't. Our, they're going into our reserves. And meanwhile, the accusation, which is true, is that President Trump has uh, pumped Putin's pipeline up Russian oil to Europe. Can you just talk about that for a second?
6: Wait a minute, President Trump has—I—I I, I missed that. Sandy has. Uh, what has President Trump done?
1: Maybe uh, I misspoke. Well, no, I'm saying that when I President
6: think you Trump may, may misspoke. Yeah, I
1: meant Biden. I meant yes. Biden. Yeah, sorry.
6: Uh huh. All right, so so that uh, and and he's uh, what has he done there with the oil pipeline?
1: Right, uh, Biden. The, has... the,
6: the thing is that if we're talking about about Nord Stream two, uh, Biden has lifted the sanctions that Trump imposed, uh, which would have which would have had it you know which would de- have definitely created problems for that pipeline. Which which is actually what we should have done. So Trump was correct in this, uh, but uh, by Biden uh, uh, and he explained it in terms of uh, you know our relationship with Germany uh, has lifted those sanctions. So that's where it stands now. I mean, the thing is that the Nord Stream pipeline uh, circumvent you know old the old gas pipelines all went through. Uh, uh, Ukraine, which gave Ukraine some control over the flow of gas. Uh, Russia had to pay transit, you know, transit fees. They had to negotiate with the Ukrainians. They didn't want, and, and it, it also created a situation in which if there was aggression aggression against Ukraine, the Ukrainians could cut off those gas gas exports and deprive Russia of of exceptionally large amount of, of income. So they wanted they, they that was the thinking behind the Nord Stream two pipeline, which the West should never have cooperated with. I mean President Reagan in the nineteen eighties warned and tried to prevent uh the pipe warned against and tried to prevent the pipeline deals which uh established Western European dependence on Russian gas. Oh, which exists for other countries as well, not just uh, not just Germany. But the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was, was specifically directed against Ukraine.
1: That's interesting.
6: Because you well, know, so the, I... the previous pipelines went through Ukraine because it was part of the Soviet Union at that time.
1: I guess I'm thinking, you know, there's so many stories here, David, but I think the whole notion of the worldwide supply of natural gas and oil, has been turned on its end. And a lot of the story right now, to me, centers on that part of the world because Russia supplies so much oil. I think Canada too, right? I mean, we did away with the pipeline through Canada, so now isn't Canada, I, I'm just I'm just pulling that out because I think Canada was um, trying to do business with the United States with all the oil we were producing but are no longer because our everything's been shut down here. It's the whole world has been turned upside down with energy supply. And that in itself is so dangerous. While China, you know, is uh, getting all the oil they can from Iran and our uh, Europe is getting it from Russia. Where is this? This is dangerous. Don't you think David?
6: Well, I, I, the, 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 what I'm, uh, concerned about right now, uh, is the situation with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, And uh, and the fact that, you know, by here, here's the point. If you are going to uh, lift sanctions on a pipeline that is uh, intended to circumvent Ukraine, what you're doing is is you're making it that much easier for Russia to abuse Ukraine or maybe even invade uh, because Mm -hmm. it has less to lose. Uh, so you know, when we make these decisions about pipelines and oil and gas supplies, we have to be under uh, you know aware of the strategic consequences, and we often aren't. It seems to me. So, and I think that the Russia Ukraine situation is a very good example of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's going to be a very cold winter for a lot of people, especially I think they're they're already in uh, in. Pl- put in place some very punishing policies for Ukraine. And uh, so it's, it's a pretty dreadful situation. And there's, there's a great article by the way, by Con Coughlin uh, with the Gatestone Institute It's called Biden's appeasement of Moscow threatens NATO. Of course, threatening NATO. What's what to you, do you think NATO is viable and uh, import by that? I mean, important. Is it still important?
6: Well, I mean, this is a reminder that it's important. Uh, the, uh, You know, if if imagine if Estonia, for example, had not been a member of NATO, Uh, how much you know, with a population of one million, uh, and you know, how what kind of ability would Estonia have to stand up to Russia if they massed you know Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of troops on its border? Uh, one of the reasons this is happening in Ukraine is because Ukraine was not accepted into NATO.
1: Oh, interesting. And, uh, See, I didn't realize that. Now oh, that all right. Well, that's we're out of time, David. I'm so sorry, but that's that's very interesting because I think uh, it seems like so so many things are shifting, and nobody in the world seems to be taking a strong stand except the totalitarians. And so um, as long as NATO remains strong or effective, I think, of course, they have, they have meaning. Thanks a lot, David.
6: In honor of the grand opening of the Don Wildman
3: Center for Cultural Transformation on February 1st, AFA will re-release The God Who Speaks on our new streaming platform and in a special limited edition DVD
5: set. The God Who Speaks, Tracing Evidence for the Bible's Inspiration and
6: Authority, was originally released in 2018. This special set includes features like two hours of new footage and a Sunday School curriculum. Learn more at
5: thegodwhospeaks.org. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst
4: of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Often when the concept of intercession is raised, we normally think about prayer, and we should. Prayer is one form of intercession. Here we see another, living intercession. At the climax of a plague, Aaron runs into the fray, armed with incense, and where he stands, the plague stops. Aaron literally stands between the living and the dead. May God move us to be living intercessors for our day. And where we take our stand in Christ, the plague stops.
5: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
0: Have you heard about the new Bible Museum in Washington, D.C.? Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. I guess it's been open two or three years now, maybe a little longer, but it's one of the premier sites on our trip to Washington, D.C., our spiritual heritage tour in June and September where we visit the Bible Museum and all the other sites that you are familiar with in Washington, D.C., including George Washington's Mount Vernon Estate. We're also gonna go on a separate trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Those tours are back to back. If you wanna go with us, we're going in June and September. We'd love to have you. Go to the website, spiritualheritagetours.com. Stephen McDowell, my dear friend, will be joining us. He's a historian and president of the Providence Foundation, and he's gonna make our trip so much richer by adding commentary and telling us the stories of the people, places and times. spiritualheritagetours.com This is Frank Gaffney
4: with the Secure Freedom Minute. The case for U.S. athletes to skip the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing keeps growing, and the failure of Olympic authorities to pull the plug becomes ever more egregious. For one thing, the public health crisis that has prompted the Chinese Communist Party to lock down conservatively, 70 million people around the country, has reached Beijing as well. For another, the Olympics are shaping up to be an even bigger super-spreader event than the notorious Wuhan New Year's potluck that helped disseminate COVID-19 worldwide. Will our athletes and others potentially infected in Beijing be welcomed home? And if so, how soon? The problem has become so acute that two of the news networks that will be enabling the CCP's propaganda fest now won't send their announced teams to Beijing, lest their personnel get sick. Our Olympians must now also be told, don't go there. This is Frank
3: Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. They're watching very closely. They watched our administration. When Qasem Soleimani threatened the United States, we took a strike. When uh, we were under assault from different places in the world, we responded in a way. President Trump said, if you use chemical weapons in Syria will respond, we did. We did it all without sending thousands of soldiers or creating a war anyplace in the world, Shannon. So they're watching very closely. They're watching to see if this administration has the resolve and the steel to use all of its tools to preserve sovereignty for a a nation like Ukraine. I, I promise you, not only are Xi Jinping and Chairman Kim and the Ayatollah watching, But so are the people of Taiwan, the Iranian people, and the Chinese people as well. The whole world watches how America leads. And when we fail to do so, we create instability. And the cost, the risks to people in Iowa, Nevada, and Kansas, my home state, are real. We we have to get this right. We have to establish deterrence in the model of Reagan and the model that we had for our four years. If we do that, America will be safe and secure and prosperous. The world will be more stable. And we won't have so many of the challenges that are confronting us, even as we sit here this morning, Shannon.
1: All right, again, Mike Pompeo, I want to stay on Russia for a second because I think I sort of muddled my way through that interview with David, and I think that you're not—how possibly could you be clear about what's going on? Um, So I want to see if I can make it clear, a little clearer. I think David's uh, comments that Russia was just like a a petulant bully— just trying to prove something by rattling their saber and threatening to go on Ukraine, not really wanting it. And that makes sense to me. And it would be, you know, uh, remember Russia occupied Afghanistan for a long time and paid such a price like our Vietnam because they couldn't extricate themselves and they finally had to leave in disgrace. So they're not looking to, you know, Russia doesn't have endless amounts of money. Uh, They are more like a third world country really in terms of their economy uh, so, uh, you know, so that makes a lot of sense to me. I, but I think the the other thing is that the, the world order is shifting, no question about it. And if Germany, for instance, is now playing their own game and not working through NATO and not, not helping to defend Ukraine like they are pledged to through NATO, that's very serious. And I, in fact, I want to go back to this article I referenced by Tom Rogan in the Wall Street Journal. He um, says... Um, as Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine looms, most Western allies are acting to support Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and reassure vulnerable members of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, that's NATO, the German, but Germany is taking a different approach, putting Russian be, interests before those of the West. Berlin reveals a serious reality, facing the two most consequential security threats to America and to the post-World War II democratic international order, China and Russia, they are the two biggest threats. Germany is no longer a credible ally. For Germany, cheap gas, car exports to China, and keeping Mr. Putin calm seem to be more important than allied democratic solidarity. Ukraine's fate will convey on Germany a heavy burden of responsibility. And so I'm repeating that. I read that a few minutes ago. But uh, this is this is the shift that I see here. If Germany Germany's been the backbone of NATO in Europe because... Germany is the economic superpower. Uh, France isn't. Uh, France is okay, but uh, Germany is the economic superpower. People in the European Union look to them. They're like the—they're the provider. They're the anchor. They also are the ones that are most given. It seems to totalitarian instincts. I was just reading this morning. Huh, it seems that's almost a laugh track that I the way I said that and passed it on. Cause yes, the Germans, the Teutonic uh, kings. They are known for uh you know they're warriors uh, that's what they do. They fight, and that's why they weren't allowed to have a an army for and still don't really have much of an army after the trees of World War II because they like to fight, they like to cause world wars, uh, and they like totalitarianism, so they're kind of like inching their way back. They have a new chancellor, Ch- chancellor Olaf Schultz, uh, and hes a he's a real leftist. You know, Angela Merkel, she was supposed to be like, initially when she was elected, I was so happy. She grew up in East Germany, and I thought, you know, she remembers like I do what East Germany was like, the oppression. And so she'll bring this refreshing, you know. And she did seem to bring a refreshing perspective on freedom, but then she got weird on us and then loved all the uh, young male Muslims marching through villages in uh, Germany. She refused to do anything about it. Uh, and and shamed her people when they were concerned about it. And that's when it began to get weird, and it's just gotten weirder. So let's talk about this Nord Stream piped pipeline, if we could, for a second. Um, Berlin, by the way, is refusing to supply Ukraine with weapons, while other members of NATO are not doing their Berlin is refusing to supply them with those. Britain is trying to help. Uh, they've been doing all kinds of things. They've been making detours really around Germany, which is interesting, because they're all part of NATO there. Another illustration is Berlin's approach to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which will send gas to Europe from Russia. German regulators say the pipeline can't start working until it meets corporate compliance standards, and that has rankled Mr. Putin, who wants it pumping now. So Russia has cut off thermal coal supplies to Ukraine for more than three months, and this is like the dead of winter for the people there. So they've been doing already things, messing with Ukraine and the people, you know, it's like the old Soviet Union. It's like it's like bullies, like it's like any story of a bully, uh, that forces people to do their victim to do things that they don't want to do, or abuses them, or deprives them, and gives like favors, like food, like water, like I don't know, uh, as a little bonus, but then takes it away. That's what Putin is doing uh, with uh, with Ukraine. So um, this is for over three months. And Mr. Putin's message is clear, says Tom Rogan. Ukraine better roll over and Germany better approve Nord Stream 2. And so it looks like they're inclined to do that. uh, So um, let's see. Germany scored a major win at U.S. expense. Considering the, the, the alliance principle of reciprocity, it isn't clear what President Biden has received in return because President Biden pushed through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline also, helped with it. While he was cutting the pipelines here, the one that we had with Canada, he's been, you know, going after our energy supply with a vengeance. He's helping Putin with his pipeline. And it's just, and, and getting nothing in return, and that is the point here. Uh, Germany has also abandoned, back to Germany, the NATO defense spending target. Remember President Trump made a lot of uh, members of NATO paying their part? America was like paying footing the bill for everything in the world, including NATO. And so the, the NATO members, you know, resentfully upped the ante and now Germany's decided they're not going to do that. So they're spending only 1.5% of their gross domestic product, which is uh, not what they're supposed to be doing. But I mean, I, I have somehow don't think that Joe Biden's going to bring them to account for that. And then uh, there's Germany and China. And this is scary because the Biden administration requested that Chancellor Angela Merkel delay a European Union-China trade deal. But... Merkel responded by speeding up the trade deal before Biden took office. So um, they are doing deals with with China and with Russia, and um, the the whole is, issue of the pipeline is huge uh, because it seems that they don't care about Ukraine, but they do care about deals with Russia and with China. So it's a very serious situation. I think that you could understand that without me saying anything more about it. So we'll, we'll be watching. We'll see if David's right about them not invading. Oh, this is a little aside, a little little sting, a little bite from Mike Davis. Mike tweeted just a couple of days ago, actually Saturday. This is to, um, you remember Lieutenant Colonel Vindman? He was Alexander Vindman. Vindman, he came in a uniform and testified at the uh, impeachment of President Trump. He's the one that actually set President Trump up with this uh, discussion with the president of, um, I don't think it was I'm just going blank, which, which uh, Eastern European country it was, but it was the reason that President Trump was impeached, because he supposedly had the wrong conversation with the president. And that was all set up by Venman. It was a setup. And Venman is Ukrainian, uh, a very loving, loyal Ukrainian. He and his brother, uh, and he was on the National Security Force, and he did everything he could to destroy President Trump. So that's why Mike Davis says, You helped put an incredibly weak president into office. Now you may lose your homeland to Russia. Was your Trump derangement worth it? Very, very pointed and, um, you know, very interesting question for Venman. All right, so today, uh, one of the reasons that these doctors are in D.C., the ones that were marching against the mandate, was to be part of a uh, hearing that Senator Ron Johnson is having this morning. It starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be um, Dr. Pierre Corey and a lot of other of our famous doctor friends, uh, Dr. Malone and others, and so you might want to turn that on. You might want to watch C-SPAN and see them testify. You certainly will be talking about it tomorrow, okay? A little rocky start for Monday. Forgive me, I have so much news this morning, and sometimes I try to take on too much. This might have been one of those mornings. But um, thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience. I'll be back tomorrow. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
5: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast